Broadcasting live from the North Fulton Business Radio X studio, it's time for To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. To Your Health is brought to you by Morrow Family Medicine, an award-winning primary care practice, which brings the care back to health care. Hello, this is Dr. Jim Morrow. I'm a family physician with Morrow Family Medicine here in Cumming and Milton, Georgia. Uh, we've been in business since 2011, and at Mara Family Medicine, as you just heard, we like to say that we are bringing care back to health care because for a long time, care got left out of health care, but we're trying to do something to bring that back, and we've been incredibly fortunate to have people take advantage of this and let us take care of them, and we appreciate every single one of our patients who lean on us every day to help keep them healthy and get them healthy when the opposite is the case. So we're here for another uh, radio show and recording this as a podcast. As we record this, this is Thanksgiving week, and I'm here with John Ray, the big turkey. How you doing, John? <laughs> My new nickname. That's right. I love it. One that I can say on air. That, that's right. Even, even though we're not regulated by the FCC, you're keeping it clean. I'm trying. I'm okay. Trying. Well, thank you for that. So, so we're here at Renaissance Bank on Windward Parkway in Alpharetta, Georgia, and the North Fulton Business Radio X studio. And we're very excited, again, to be reaching out to you with some information that I hope will be helpful. Uh, it will be interesting, and to a degree, it will be gross, because today we're talking about sexually transmitted infections. Now, I'm an old man, and John was just remarking about this a minute ago. These used to be STDs. They were sexually transmitted diseases. But someone probably at the CDC decided that they needed to be called STIs. So now they're sexually transmitted infections. And the truth is, it doesn't matter what you call them. The bottom line is you don't want them. So we're going to talk about what they are and how you get them and how you keep from getting them, which is probably the most important part of the entire thing. So sexually transmitted infections are the infections, clearly, that you can get by having sex with someone who has an infection. It's really that simple. If someone has an infection that you got from them because you had sex with them, that's a sexually transmitted infection. Now, these things are passed from person to person through vaginal intercourse most typically. Uh, They can be passed through anal sex, oral sex, or even skin-to-skin contact depending on the infection. Uh, They're caused by either viruses or bacteria. Uh, The ones that are easier to treat are the ones that are caused by bacteria. Uh, The ones caused by viruses are things like hepatitis B, herpes, uh, HIV, and HPV. HPV is the human papillomavirus that uh, people are hearing a lot about right now because there's a new vaccine for that that we'll talk about. And then the ones that are caused by bacteria are primarily chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis. Now, for years and years, you didn't hear a lot about syphilis. Uh, You might know that uh, some famous people have died from syphilis, uh, and I'm drawing a blank on the name of the gangster that died from syphilis. Al Capone. Al Capone. Thank you so much. I, I knew there was a reason you were here. <laughs> well, I'm glad to add value where I can. Thank you so much, John. You're yeah, Al Capone died of tertiary syphilis. So if you're going to have sex with someone, how do you know if that partner has an, an STI? And the first thing is you ask. Is there any reason I should have a concern that you might have an infection? It might be uncomfortable, but if you're not comfortable enough to talk to your person you're about to have sex with about that, you probably need to think about who you're about to have sex with. So that's an important point, I think. So you ask them, not only do you have or are you at risk of having an STI? And some of the things that make people be at risk are having multiple partners, 
using injectable drugs or having had an STI in the past. So if you have a lifestyle that's led you to have an STI, the odds are pretty good that you've got a risk at least of having an STI. So that's an important thing to know. Uh, To be safe, you want to protect yourself no matter what the person says. And I'll be very frank with you, and uh, this might not be something people want to hear, but what I tell people in the office, and usually it's a young woman, but I will tell them flat out, you tell this man, if you want any of this good stuff, you're wearing a condom, period. And they usually look at me like I've slapped them in the face, but that's that's the way it needs to be done. You need to be very forthright and and upfront about this. And if you are and you stand your ground, then you're less likely to end up with one of these things that, trust me, you do not want. And you're not doing yourself or your partner any favors if you're trying to hide the fact that you have or you're at risk for an STI. So if you do have one of these infections, what? how do you know? What are some of the common symptoms? Well, itching around the v- vagina or discharge from the vagina in women, of course, is, is a symptom. Discharge from the penis for men. Uh, you can have pain during sex or when you're urinating. If a man has something like gonorrhea, he feels like he's peeing lightning bolts. So if you have pain or when you're having sex or during urination, that's a, that's a thing. Now, if you have pain in the pelvic area, right above the pelvic bone in the very lower part of the abdomen, If you have pelvic pain, you need to be seen by a physician. You need to be checked out because you could easily have an STI. If you have oral sex, a sore throat can be a symptom of an STI. If you have anal sex, pain around the anus can be a symptom of an STI. If you have syphilis, syphilis presents with what's called a canker, and those sores are painless and usually on the area where you had sex, the genital area, the anus, the tongue, throat, they're somewhere around there, but they're painless red sores. And it's something you would look at and say, well, that's really weird, and that should hurt, and it doesn't, and you need to be checked. If you have a scaly rash on your hands or the soles of your feet, it can be an indication. If you have dark urine, uh, real light-colored stools, yellow eyes. I think yellow eyes should be a, a sign that tells anybody on the planet something's not right. But if you have those or if you have yellow skin, those are symptoms of hepatitis and you need to be checked. If you have small blisters that get scabby on the genital area, then clearly you need to be checked. Unusual infections, fatigue, night sweats, these kinds of things, these are symptoms of typically HIV and obviously a reason that you want to be checked. You can also have warts. You can have soft, flesh-colored warts around the genital area in an area where you wouldn't usually expect to see them. And if you see that, you need to be checked. So these are all symptoms of STIs. And if you've ever had sex, you are at risk of having an STI. There is a possibility. I mentioned the human papillomavirus earlier, and there's a vaccine called Gardasil uh, that is available now. And we try to give that to people before they ever have sex because the assumption is that if you have ever, ever had sex with anyone, you've been exposed to human papillomavirus already. So uh, diagnosis of STIs is not all that difficult in the vast majority of cases. Uh, They can be diagnosed by your doctor, nurse practitioner, physician assistant, whoever your clinician is, whoever you're seeing, with a culture uh, of secretions from the area in question, and sometimes through a blood test. Some of these are, are found only in blood tests. But the way to prevent them, 
the only sure way to prevent them is by not having sex. And for some people at some ages, that's a very legitimate thing. I certainly encourage that. But the bottom line is people are going to have sex. And if you do have sex, you can lower your risk by only having sex with someone who's not having sex with anyone else. When age came around in the 80s and people started actually having conversations about this, uh, what you would hear, and it's very true, is that when you have sex with someone, you're having sex with everyone they ever had sex with. Now think about that. Think about the person you're thinking about having sex with. That's, that's an interesting comment. You should always use condoms when you're having sex, including oral and anal sex. So do condoms prevent infections? Well, male latex condoms can reduce your risk. They actually are pretty effective at, at doing that. Lambskin condoms are not, and that's an important difference. And doesn't say that on the condom aisle, and it doesn't say that online when you're about to buy them. So keep that in mind. You want latex condoms if you're going to try to prevent an STI. And they're certainly not 100%. Uh, they can't protect you from coming in contact with someone who has other types of sores and, and that kind of thing. But if you're looking at the typical chlamydia, gonorrhea, uh, HIV, that kind of thing, then they can actually help you. So what else can you do to prevent an infection? Because it's all about preventing an infection. Number one, like I mentioned, ask your partner if they have or have had an infection. Tell your partner if you've had one. If you're in a relationship, talk about getting tested. Go go get tested as a as a show of faith and 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 so forth to the person that you're about to have sex with. You're there, so look for signs of infection. I've talked about some of the things to look for, and there's nothing wrong with having a little look. So look and see and, and see if there's something you don't like and if there is run. Period. And you have to remember that all of these infections don't have physical findings. There's not always something you're going to see that's going to let you know that there's a problem. If you're being treated currently for an STI, wait until that treatment is finished before you have sex with anyone. And wash your genitals with soap and water, wash your hands with soap and water, and urinate as soon as you have sex. This can help keep some germs away before they have a chance to infect you. For years, People talked about using spermicide, which is something called nonoxanol 9, which is found in uh, many uh, condoms. It's also found in uh, the medicine that you use if a woman uses a diaphragm and so forth. And the feeling was that nonoxanol 9 being a spermicide, it kills sperm. So it's a, a birth control uh, a device in, in effect that that could help prevent infections. But in actual fact, what they're finding is that the spermicides can create some inflammation. The inflammation makes the mucosa more susceptible to infection. So you can actually be more likely to get an infection if you're using a spermicide than if you're not. So the treatments for these things, like I mentioned, some are caused by viruses and some are caused by bacteria. The ones that are caused by bacteria like chlamydia and gonorrhea, they can be cured with antibiotics. Okay, cured with antibiotics. But the, the infections that are caused by viruses like HIV and herpes, these can't be cured. They're with you forever. 
And you may not have issues with them because people certainly live with HIV every single day. We see people all the time that are living healthy lives and they have HIV, but they still have HIV. It's not something they had and got rid of because you can't get rid of it. If you suspect a problem, don't wait. I've said on many of these podcasts that the five most dangerous words in the English language are maybe it will go away. Do not take that attitude. Seek help if you feel like you might have a problem because, trust me, these things are much easier to get rid of before they become set in stone, before they become a much larger problem. So let's talk about the different types of STIs. Now, we're not going to talk about every single one of them. Uh, We're not going to talk about uh, everything that you can get because the list is just too long for the time frame that we have. But in looking at the most common ones, the most the ones you're most likely to run into as a clinician or have as a patient. So the first one, let's talk about chlamydia. Chlamydia is a bacterial infection, but if you don't treat it, it can cause infertility in women. Now, the reason it causes infertility is typically because it irritates and infects the fallopian tube. And when the infection proceeds, and even when it's gone, it can cause the fallopian tube to scar down to the point that the egg can't travel from the ovary through the fallopian tube to the uterus, and you can't get pregnant. Or if you do get pregnant, you'll have an, you're likely to have an ectopic pregnancy, which you don't want also. So in, in women primarily, they can have pain when they urinate, and a lot of things cause pain with urination. And I know as women, that's an easy thing to ignore, but you shouldn't. If you have itching around the vagina, if you have any yellow fluid discharge from the vagina, if you have bleeding that's not during a period, or if you have pain in the lower abdomen, these are reasons you need to be seen because this could be a sign of chlamydia. In men, you'll have a sort of a milky colored discharge from the penis and a burning sensation when you urinate. Like I said, it's like peeing lightning bolts. And you can also have painful swelling in the scrotum. That's a possibility. Now, if you have painful swelling in the scrotum, it does not mean that you have chlamydia. It means that you have painful swelling in the scrotum. You need to get it checked out to be sure it's not that. There are plenty of causes of painful swelling in the scrotum that have nothing to do with STIs, but they, it is certainly a possibility. Treatment for this is simple antibiotics. You treat both partners and you treat people that they've had intercourse with other than the two that are immediately involved. And that's really a, a fairly simple thing to do. Chlamydia is something you don't keep. You get rid of it. Uh, it's not like a prize on the old wheel, to for- wheel of fortune that was yours to keep. This is, in fact, something you can get rid of. Another one you can get rid of that's caused by bacteria is gonorrhea. If you don't treat gonorrhea, serious health problems can occur. But it's easily cured in the vast majority of cases. It's, it's a bacterial infection, so antibiotics work pretty darn well with gonorrhea. Again, in women, you can have discharge. It might be any color, any type uh, from the vagina. You can have pain when you urinate, same sort of thing with abnormal bleeding. You can have a heavier period than normal. You can even get a fever with gonorrhea. Both men and women can get sore throats if they've had oral sex with an infected person. So it's not always a vaginal or a, or a penile problem. It can, in fact, be a sore throat. Men that have it will have a fairly thick yellow discharge versus the milky one with chlamydia from the penis, and they have pain when urinating again. And the opening of the penis, the the urethra itself, can be sore. 
And these can lead to all sorts of complications. You can get a long list of complications from gonorrhea if you don't treat it. But it is easily treated with antibiotics in the majority of cases. And I say that for gonorrhea because gonorrhea has been shown to develop some resistance. When I was at Clemson as a senior, I was working with Dr. John Bond, one of the microbiologists there. Love that guy. And Dr. Bond was working with uh, antibiotic-resistant gonorrhea. This is 1975. And, and he's already working with penicillin-resistant gonorrhea. So this is not a new thing. And some of the strains have been shown to resist, be resistant to multiple antibiotics. So if you do have something like this, you go to the doctor, they do a culture, they do a test, and then they treat you. If you don't get better, then they do cultures and such to find out if it, in fact, is resistant. So those are the two main bacterial ones we're going to talk about. Now, syphilis... Um, is also caused by bacteria. It's called by caused by bacteria that's called a spirochete, which is an odd, literally spiral-looking organism under a microscope. And it's a serious infection as well. If you don't treat syphilis, it can kill you. I mentioned Al Capone with John's help. Thank you, John. And so if you do have syphilis, you want to be sure and get it treated because you can have secondary syphilis where it gets into other parts of the body. You can have tertiary syphilis where it gets into the brain. You can have neurosyphilis. It's, it's a horrible, horrible thing. And if you don't treat it when you first recognize it, it can completely disappear and you won't know it's there until your body starts falling apart from it. Early on, uh, you get a shanker. Uh, and I've heard people pronounce that shanker and canker, and I don't. I think there's multiple ways to do it, but it's basically a painless red sore. And if you get a sore that looks like like it should hurt and it doesn't, that's a big red flag. It can be just about anywhere near where you've had sex. You can have swollen glands in that area. You can have fever. You can have headache. You can have all kind of pain in the joints and things. It's a full blown infection, obviously, and it can cause a world of problems. And it can come back years later if you don't get a hold of it early on. But if you do, it's not difficult to treat. Not at all. So viral things, let's start with herpes. When, uh, when herpes was first coming on the forefront and becoming much more common, it was devastating to people uh, because there were no good ways to treat it. There were no good ways to, to get rid of it. It's incredibly painful, especially the first episode. It, it's something that at the time we didn't have medicine for, like I said, and you just had to wait it out pretty much. And people might have just pure misery for weeks uh, because of this kind of thing. And if you get herpes, it's going to be there forever. You're always going to have that in your body. Now, there are things you can do now to keep it from giving you a lot of trouble, but it's always going to be there. It is spread from skin to skin or really mucosa to mucosa contact. But once you're infected, it's there. And the symptoms are a wide variety. You can get just nothing but pain and tingling and itching in the genital area typically. You can get oral lesions uh, depending on the kind of sex that you've been having. Uh, you can get small blisters that form and then break open. And when they do break open, they create an incredibly bad burning feeling. Uh, it can hurt to urinate. Uh, you, can, you can get this on and off in what's called an outbreak periodically. Now, thankfully, nowadays, there's great medication for treating this. Uh, and any, anytime you get an outbreak, you can take it back and get it get it back to a good baseline by using valcyclovir, which is Valtrex, is the one we usually use these days. 
And it's not a difficult thing to do. But the, also, if you have frequent recurring episodes of this, and you can if you're unlucky or malnourished or don't get enough rest or you're too stressed or you have other infections going on, then your immune system might look away from the herpes and not hold it at bay for a bit, and then it'll come back. So if that happens, you can take Valtrex every day to suppress that. The problem is that you can shed virus even when you're not symptomatic. So it's an important thing to let any partner know about because there's a possibility that you're contagious even at a time when you're not having symptoms. And the second one in the viral world is HIV, which, of course, leads to AIDS if it's untreated and not held in check. Uh, AIDS, of course, is the acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. And herpes became more, more common right before HIV came around. And it used to be that you would tell people in the office, well, I'm, uh, I've got terrible news, you have herpes. And when HIV came around, it changed to, hey, i got great news, you have herpes, because they didn't have HIV. Nobody ever died from herpes, but way too many people, early on especially, died from HIV and AIDS, way too many people. I mean, it, it came on like a wildfire and 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 we didn't have decent ways to treat it, and it was terrible. It makes your immune system so weak that you can't fight other diseases. And people don't typically die from AIDS or HIV. They die from pneumonia from a bacteria that you wouldn't typically get an infection with because you have no immune system. Now, these days, like I said, people are living with HIV and doing a great job of it, and they're happy, and they're otherwise healthy, and they live great lives and, and so forth, but they have to pay a lot of attention to their health because of that. So HIV is a virus that you get from having sex from someone who has HIV, and if you do have that, it's actually legally important that you tell people you have intercourse with that you have that because it is against the law to have sex with someone if you have HIV and not notify them ahead of time. I won't get into the treatment of HIV because, number one, I don't treat it. Number two, the treatment's incredibly complex. Number three, it changes about every eight weeks. Uh, but the researchers have done an incredible job finding great medications that can take care of uh, HIV these days. And then I mentioned human papillomavirus earlier. That causes genital warts, but more than genital warts, which can be taken care of physically with some chemo destruction and that kind of thing in the office, HPV can cause cervical cancer. So women get pap smears for a variety of reasons, but one of the main reasons is to be sure there's no sign of HPV there and it hasn't attacked the cervix and made that mucosa start to change and that change could lead to cervical cancer. So it's a very important thing that sexually active women get a regular pap smear. And if you do have changes consistent with HPV, you do exactly what your doctor tells you as far as follow-up and recurring treatments and so forth, and you'll, you should be okay. Now, the other thing they cause, more importantly in men probably, is head and neck cancer. If you have oral sex with someone who has HPV, you can get HPV and you can end up with head and neck cancer. And head and neck cancer is incredibly difficult to treat, and the surgical options are, are horrible in most cases, and the radiation options are devastating in many cases as well. So this is something you want to avoid, and this is the one that there's a vaccine for called Gardasil that we recommend that boys and girls between the ages of 11 and 12 get. 
In some cases, it's two vaccines. In some cases, it's three, and that also changes pretty regularly. But if you're a young person or if you have children in this age, I encourage you to get them a Gardasil vaccine. Nothing bad ever came from getting a Gardasil vaccine. I refer you back to the podcast we did on vaccines. There's no downside to getting a Gardasil vaccine. The worst thing that will happen is nothing. The best thing that will happen is you don't get HPV. So most of this is talking about STDs in adults, but children and infants can get STDs as well. If you have a woman who is pregnant and she has herpes, for example, uh, the baby can contract herpes as they pass through the birth canal. So if that's the case, then at about 36 weeks probably, your OBGYN will probably start you on Valtrex to keep you from having an active episode of herpes while the baby's being born so the baby doesn't end up with herpes as well. Because uh, if you think it's bad in adults, it can be totally devastating in, in babies. And then women in infertility, most of these infections, uh, certainly uh, HPV and uh, gonorrhea and chlamydia, can cause infertility. So these are things, if you want to have kids, you need to be thinking about this as a young person. This is not something that's just for old geezers. This is for young people to think about as well because these things have lifelong considerations. So that's the the medical part of STIs. But there's still some things to think about. Number, Number one, I think, is that it's common to feel guilty or ashamed if you're diagnosed with an STI. You may feel like someone that you thought you could trust has hurt you. You may be sad. You may be upset. You need to talk to your clinical provider, doctor, nurse practitioner, PA, whatever it might be, about this. Because this is, this is an important part of this. It's not just all about the infection itself. Remember that you can take steps to prevent infections. The only sure ones, not having sex. But if you do have sex, you can lower your risk by doing the things that we've talked about. Limit your number of sex partners. Avoid people who've had multiple partners. Use condoms consistently. Use them correctly. Ask your partner if they have or have had an infection. Talk about getting tested. I think getting tested is a a sign of faith and and devotion even to someone. So I think that's a great idea. While you're there, before you have sex, look for signs of infection. If you're about to have sex and you see a blister in the area, you don't want to have sex. Things you shouldn't have to say out loud, but you need to hear that. This is important. Wash up. Wash your genitals with soap and water. Urinate as soon as you're done. This can help keep the germs from getting a foothold and causing an infection. These are things that are not difficult to do, but the things you have to think about. And the problem is that when you're in the throes of passion and you're about to have sex, it's the last thing you want to do. But it's the first thing you're going to regret if you don't do it. John, that's STIs. Yeah, uh, wow. So you mentioned the antibiotic 
uh, resistance and how that changes? I mean, how do you keep up with that? Well, as a clinician, you keep up with it by reading. There's a, a morbidity and mortality report that comes out from CDC pretty regularly, and they're pretty good about that kind of thing. Uh, talking to colleagues, talking to people that you see uh, at the hospital or that you see when you're practicing, uh, talking to them about what's happening in that area is important too, and just reading, just staying up on it. Gotcha. Now, uh, and just a reminder, folks, we got a whole show about that, episode 20, so about uh, antibiotic resistance uh, uh, and infections generally. Um, but um, another question, so you mentioned if you're diagnosed. So how do you – you don't have symptoms that you or one of your colleagues can check out how do you get diagnosed and is it a blood test or i mean how does that work well if you have for example chlamydia gonorrhea it's a simple urine test uh, you provide a urine specimen send it to the lab and they run for dna for chlamydia and not and gonorrhea and if you have that you get called back you typically get a shot and some pills and you're done mm. <clears throat> now if it's uh if it's hiv there are no physical findings unless you're extended to the point of having enlarged lymph nodes and that kind of thing, which you don't see much anymore. You see it some, but not a lot. Um, But if you have that, then there are no signs, and that's a blood test. Now, if someone comes to the office and this happens, I'm I'm really happy about how often this happens. People will come in, they'll say, I need to be checked for STDs, period, just blanket statement. Well, you do all those things. You do the urine, you do the blood test for hepatitis, you do the HIV test, you do everything you can do, a syphilis test, you do all those things so that, number one, you don't miss anything, and number two, you give them complete peace of mind. Sure. Um, So I'm just curious about, I mean, this is one of those areas that people don't really want to talk about, and there's full of, there's a lot of misconceptions, right? Right. What are some of the biggest misconceptions you hear about STIs? That... I didn't have penetrating sex. I can't get sick. You certainly hear that. Um, untrue. Untrue. Completely untrue. Absolutely untrue. Um, that these infections are not treatable. A lot of people feel like since HIV and AIDS came out and we had so much trouble treating them, people sometimes are of the opinion that you can't treat any of these, so they don't try to do anything. Uh, sometimes women especially will feel like, oh, it's just a UTI. It burns when I pee, so it's just a UTI, and they'll go to the drugstore and get some AZO, uh, or they might even see someone and present like that and get treated with an antibiotic that will not cover them for chlamydia or gonorrhea. And so they're missing out on an opportunity to intervene at a time when they should. Uh, I didn't talk about pelvic inflammatory disease, but when you talk about people having pelvic pain, women – having pelvic pain, frequently that's because they have PID, uh, which is pelvic inflammatory disease. And that's where the fallopian tubes, the ovaries, everything's infected, the uterus is infected, everything. I mean, it, it, if you stand up on your tiptoes and drop on your heels, you feel like somebody stabbed you with a sword straight through the abdomen. And uh, these people feel like it's a UTI at first and it's something that's not and it's and because it's just in the abdomen, sometimes they think, well, maybe I'm constipated or maybe I'm having spasm in my colon or whatever, and they just wait and wait and wait. And the longer you wait, the more likely you are to have a problem with fertility. Gotcha. Now, and just to be clear, all these different STIs you've mentioned can be diagnosed 
in your office. I mean, and or with your family physician. They can. You don't have to go to a specialist for any of this. You do not. No, diagnosis is a matter of uh, fairly simple lab tests in the majority of cases. Now, for treatment, a lot of times if you do have HIV, you're going to end up seeing an infectious disease doctor. When HIV came around in the 80s, it completely changed the career path and the career of every infectious disease doctor that I knew at the time. Mm. They all were busy one day treating resistant pneumonia in the hospital or skin infections that didn't respond to antibiotics. And the next day, their offices were flooded, it seemed like, with people with HIV, that uh, most of which died, the vast majority of which died, mm. uh, until the the cocktails came available that were able to hold the, the virus at bay. Sure, sure. Fortunately, we've gotten past that time. We have, and it's a blessing. Yeah. That's what I got, man. All right. Well, I appreciate everyone listening very much. I wanted to say again that this podcast is sponsored by Mara Family Medicine. At Mara Family Medicine, we have a walk-in hour every morning, 7.30 to 8.30, in both of our offices, coming and Milton. In Milton, we're located on Highway 9, right across from Fry's Electronics. And in Cumming, we're located on Deputy Bill Cantrell Memorial Road, right behind Sprouts. And if you need anything, whether you're a new patient or an established patient, we'd be happy to take care of you. And we appreciate it. And mainly, I appreciate you listening to this and other podcasts. I would ask you to email us if you have ideas for uh, show topics or if you have comments. You can email us at Dr. Jim, that's drjim, at toyourhealth.md. Or you can tweet us at toyourhealthmd. And I appreciate everyone listening. And for now, that is to your health.